Good morning. Hello. Welcome this morning to uh, a second day with Dr. For Christopher Yuan. Um, welcome students. Thank you for being here. We know that you have to be here, but I think that you would also, you want to be here. All right. So, um, yeah, and welcome visitors, um, guests from the community. We're so excited that you, you've joined us this morning. Um, if you were here with us yesterday, then, then like me, you were blessed to hear as, as Dr. Yuan uh, unpacked with us his prodigal story, and he, he talked to us about his desire for holy sexuality. He explained that homosexuality is not the sought-after ideal, and that heterosexuality also is not the sought-after ideal, but as Christ followers, we are, our aim is for holy sexuality. Last night, we were privileged to hear as Dr. Yuan unpacked with us some of the key texts from Scripture that are often debated uh, in, in this topic. And so, like last night, we had a question and answer, and this morning, after this morning session, we're going to have another opportunity for uh, question and answers. And during this session, or if you had questions yesterday, if you could text this number that's on the screen, um, then we're going to get those questions, and, and following the session this morning, then Dr. Yuan will graciously answer some of those questions. Now, I know that some of you are going to need to leave for class um, or, or other obligations, so... Uh, when, when Dr. Yuan is finished, if you could quickly and quietly leave if you need to, um, that would be really appreciated, and then we can get going uh, with some of the questions. So, uh, Dr. Yuan, if you'd come and join me on stage, I'd love to pray for you before you begin. God, we thank you for Dr. Yuan, his life, his testimony of your grace and your faithfulness. God, we pray that you would just open our hearts, our minds, that we would just hear from you this morning through, through Christopher. We pray this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. It's like a heat wave. <laughs> right? It's amazing. It's so hot. Um... For those of you that weren't able to come yesterday um, and weren't able to catch my testimony, uh, we, and if you would like to learn more about our journey, um, the books, my parents still have that, and also, um, I, also, if any of you got, my parents are, I, the re, one of, I never travel alone, so I, my mother always travels with me, but my father's here because we're speaking in Calgary tonight and Sunday, so if you guys have friends in Calgary, tell them to, um, we're speaking at a Chinese church, so if you guys have any Chinese friends that need to hear the gospel, have them, uh, and there's like tons of Chinese here in Canada, right? Um, <laughs> just not in the rural areas. So, or just photographers. Um, <laughs> and um, so we are, you know, t you can encourage them to go and, and to, to uh, hear us in Calgary. I can't remember the names of it. If you want to ask, you can find out from my mom or my dad and, or ask me. I'll, I'll just have to find out the name exactly. I think one is called Mountain View and the other one is the Calgary Chinese Church. Um, 
this morning, I, I know last night, for those of you that came, that was, it was pretty heady, and I always feel bad once I give that at the end, because I was like, oh, I wonder if that was like too much over their head. Um, I love that type of stuff, but I have to remember that not everyone, um, you know, has taken Hebrew and Greek and loves languages and stuff. But um, I, I do think it's very important for us to at least be familiar with the way that other people will interpret these passages and come to different conclusions and be able to engage well with them. This morning, though, I'm, it will not be as much uh, as uh, trying or testing on you, and this, will be, this is going to be much more practical. And actually, this is really the heart of our ministry, where it's talking about now what? What do we do in light of the gospel, in light of the fact that God holds to a high standard of biblical sexuality for everyone? How do we love well? I, I think the issue is never about love. I, I, I often hear people say, well, we just need to love. And I completely agree. The issue, I think, is not whether one is loving or not. The issue is how do we define that? Over and over. I mean, honestly, even the people who, who stand at the gay pride parades and preach condemnation, you're going to hell, you can ask them, and I bet you they'll say, I'm doing it out of love. Right? So, actually, people are like, oh, well, you're not loving. No. <laughs> How do you define that? And uh, one side will say, I'm doing this out of love. The other side will also do, out, do it out of love. So, I, I want us to first reflect on, on how we've done and how we need to improve, and what are practical things that we can do to better minister in this world, specifically to those of our friends and loved ones in the gay community, and also to fellow believers, fellow Christians, even people here at the, at the school who, who personally experience same-sex attractions. They don't want to act on it. So how do we walk with them? Now, to be honest, we haven't done a good job. Oh, actually, here's a... Um, yeah, we haven't done a good job at engaging on this issue of homosexuality. There's a book that's called Unchristian, written by David uh, Kinnaman and Gabe, Gabe Lyons, who it's out of Barner Research. They ask young Americans, and I think that's probably similar to, so I would say, you know, probably North Americans, how, what do you think about Christians? And what they found, it was almost all negative. What they found from the bottom is Christians, we are viewed to be Confusing, not accepting, boring, insensitive, out of touch, too political, old-fashioned, hypocritical, judgmental, and guess what's at the very, very top? Anti-homosexual. Look at those percentages. Those not raised in the church, 91%. That's an enormous percentage. This study was published in 2007, and I can almost guarantee you that that percentage is even higher today. But what about those of you raised in the church? According to this survey, 8 out of 10 of you and your peers believe that we ourselves are anti-homosexual. But we teach you, love the sinner, hate the sin. But according to this, 8 out of 10. And notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say anti-homosexuality, I-T-Y, three letters but big difference. That's more the issue. According to this survey, Christians, we are viewed to be against gay people. And that is wrong. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not against people. It's not against anyone. It's for people, for people turning from their sins and turning to Christ. And it's still for people, and so should we be for people. So how can we do a better job in, in, in engaging on this issue, love better in a gospel-centered way? Now, I have a bunch of notes, just like before, if you would like to... 
uh, get my notes, scan this QR code, jot this down. Um, and there's many ways that I could approach this issue. I could approach this issue, you know, maybe looking at what's going on in government, public policy, or I could kind of feed into the culture war that we have raging, especially in the U.S. I mean, maybe in, the, in Canada it's not as much. It's kind of, kind of a, more of a done deal. We're still fresh on that debate in the U.S. Or we could approach this issue more from a dev developmental psychological perspective using as our foundation, or I think the best foundation is using the gospel of Jesus Christ as our foundation, as our grounding, that we are all sinners before a holy God in need of a Savior. That should be really our foundation in everything that we do. So as we go through, you know, as we find a true Christian response, a, a gospel Centered response, not just to this issue, but more important to our loved ones and friends in the gay community. I, I'm going to give you guys a few critiques. So hopefully, you guys are confident enough in your spirituality this morning to take a bit of criticism. Is that okay? First of all, we need to make sure that we have the right attitude. That we first, before we are look at someone else's sin, we need to be convicted about our own sin first. When I lived as a gay man for many years, I felt Christians were telling me that somehow gays and lesbians deserved a hotter place in hell, that Jesus had to hang on the cross a little bit longer for gays and lesbians, and that's so far from the truth. It's sin, but it's not the worst sin, and yet sometimes as Christians, we treat it like that, just in the tone of our voice when we talk about it. Those gay people, they're people loved by God, created in His image, who need to know about Christ. So we need to realize that though it's sin, it's not the worst sin. And, uh, you know, it's, we're, we have to realize that God is grieved by all sin. People say, well, it's an abomination. True. But Proverbs 6 says, so is pride an abomination, dissension an abomination. When was the last time your friend was a bit prideful and he said, you are abomination? Maybe we should. And by do doing so, we wouldn't trivialize sin that so grieves the heart of God. And I know especially many conservative Christians will say, well, I can't help but to cringe or feel really uncomfortable when I see a gay couple. You know, they're holding hands or, you know, think about two men sleeping together. That, that you know, they'll say, that grosses me out. And I think that that feeling of disgust that some, sometimes we might feel should actually be a good reminder for us that that feeling is just a fraction of what God feels when He looks at our own sin, and maybe even more because we know better and we should have the Holy Spirit abiding in us. So our sin is just as odious just as evil, just as bad in, uh, in, you know, in God's eyes than someone else's sin. And at the end of the day, our goal should be to lead people to Christ. Amen? I mean, that should be our, our main goal. And yet, that's never done through a holier-than-thou attitude. I've, I've never met anyone who came to Christ through, a, you know, through a pr someone who is so prideful. You know, I came to Jesus, this, this older lady, she was so pompous. You know, I mean, never has that, I, I've never heard that happen before. It's always someone who's gentle and compassionate and patient and, you know, convicted about their own brokenness. That is what draws people, not pride. 
So first and foremost, make sure our attitude right, is right. Make sure that we're looking at our own sins, being convicted about those, and that leads to humility. Second, we need to be consistent in three ways. First of all, regarding relationships. What is your relationship status? And that's a big deal, especially at Christian college campuses. You know, I teach at Moody Bridal Institute. It's insane. You know, I mean, I went through culture shock when I went through my first year at Moody. I, I went to a state school before, and, and of course, I mean, I'm not saying that Christians, we should emulate the way that non-Christians date, but and yet, I don't know if we're doing it right either. You know, on your first date, you're already discussing, like, how many kids you want to have, you know, what ministry, you know, I mean, you know what you're going to do in 10 years. I mean, hold on, you know, <laughs> get to know their name first. I mean, you know... <laughs> you know, get to know their past. I mean, it's just, I, I, I just, there's, there's a sense where we need to uh, really value the dignity of marriage, uh, but I think the way that we date sometimes actually trivializes marriage and almost makes a mockery out of marriage, the way we push people together to date. I mean, think about this for a moment. Just because two people are godly Christians doesn't mean that they have to date. I mean, think about it. You, I mean, I'm sure you're like, oh, these two people are like perfect, you know, they both love the Lord. Yes, they, I mean, they could be both very, very godly people, but it could be not God's will for them to marry. Does that make sense? But, and yet we forget that sometimes, you know, what, you know, you might have a good friend, they're like, you know, they started, they met someone this weekend, and you're like, I'm so happy for you. We don't even ask, is this person following the Lord or not? I mean, honestly, I think we should be more critical when people are dating and almost be the, be the third party to talk them out of it, because if it's God's will, anything we say can't change that. But it's often we go by our emotions, and we, I think we sometimes trivialize it. Um, and you know, we're, we have so, such an imbalance today when it comes to marriage and singleness, where we have elevated marriage much higher than singleness to the point where singleness is like consolation prize. You know, I'm so sorry <coughs> you're single. And you, you might be thinking, I mean, I spend a lot of time on, on uh, you know, I, I'm going to, I put a lot of emphasis on this. You might think, what does this have to do with, with my gay friend? A lot. And let me tell you why. If our message to the gay community or your gay friend or your gay son or granddaughter, whatever it is, if our message to them, were, you know, according to God's Word, is that they need to walk away from same-sex relationships and not pursue them, well, then what does it mean practically for them in their life, like today? Be single. And if so, do we have a healthy place for singles to thrive in Christian community today? Yes or no? Not really. We don't. Whether for never marriage, for widows, for divorce, we don't have a place where singles feel like church is home. Singleness is equated to loneliness. Many of my gay friends tell me, what you're saying is your God wants me to be lonely for the rest of my life. I hear that all the time. And yet, to be honest, singleness is not equated to loneliness because I know many people who are married and they're still miserably lonely. <laughs> so marriage is not the cure to loneliness. As a matter of fact, you know what's the cure to loneliness? It begins with a relationship with God. That's the cure to loneliness, not another person. And yet we do elevate marriage to be like, you know, this pie in the sky. You know, you achieve that and, you know, you've succeeded in life. 
you know, heaven forbid you graduate from Prairie, Prairie College and you don't get that ring by spring and, you know, it's, you've like, I know people who like graduating, they, they feel like they failed college because they didn't get, 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 get married. They do, they do. I mean, they, they come here with that purpose to find that, that mate and uh, that helper and, and they, they leave here and they don't, they feel like they failed. We're communicating something that I think doesn't line up with God's Word. Yes, marriage is good, but I, let me tell you, I think at times we are at risk of idolizing marriage. And you might think, how can we idolize marriage? That's good. Marriage is certainly good, but you know the most deceptive form of idolatry is when we worship something good. Good things are never meant to be married. Only God, uh, good things are never meant to be worshipped. <laughs> good things are never meant to be worshipped. Only God is meant to be worshipped. Only God is meant to be worshipped. I mean, think back when you were kids and your teachers would read you fairy tales. How do, how do they all end? Well, first they get married, and then they live happily ever after. You know, you, you don't get, it's the end of the story after that. No more 10-year checkup, 20-year checkup. Hopefully, they're still living happily ever after. But you know what the real lesson is? It's not marriage that should bring you ultimate contentment. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who should bring you ultimate contentment, whether you're married or whether you're single. In the U.S., after the Supreme Court made their decision to, to legalize same-sex marriage in all 50 states, it was in, on June uh, 26th, on uh, 2015, my good friend and I wrote what, you, what was passed out, and we called it something greater than marriage. We saw a lot of people responding, I mean, on, on media, on the newspapers, on television, and most of it, they were celebrating marriage equality, but then, of course, you had some Christians that were standing up, and they were grieving, and they are saying, you know, we need to hold up traditional marriage. And one problem that I saw on both sides were that both sides were elevating marriage as if it's the all in all. And I wanted us to recalibrate and realize that it's not. And, and what, if you'll read there... Really, the main thing that, that made my friend, Dr. Rosario Butterfield, who, who lived as a lesbian for many years, was a tenured English professor at Syracuse University, we wrote this together, and what we really were responding to was the Supreme Court, the majority opinion, at the very end, it said this, marriage is the highest ideal of love. I disagree. Marriage is not the highest ideal of love. It's an expression of love, but it is not the highest ideal of love. God is. God alone is. Think about this. I said this yesterday. All religions, they can claim their God is loving. Only our God is love. That's a big difference. It is actually a part of His essence. He is love. Not He's loving. He is loving, but but that's not the main point. The main point is He is love. And when someone else tries to say something different from that, that's not only wrong, it's idolatry and heresy. And I need to very lovingly disagree and correct that. And Christians, we should not promote that mis misunderstanding. God is love. That's why we said something greater than marriage. Marriage is good, but there's something greater than that. And that's a relationship with Jesus. And we have to make sure that we don't cloud things up and confuse people with what is the most important thing in life. You know, Jesus did not die 
so you could get married. I mean, and, and you might think I'm just really bashing marriage. I'm not. I just, I want us to shake, I want to shake us up because I think the church needs to be shaken up a bit where I'm, I'm, not, I'm not at all trying to devalue marriage, or, and, and especially many of you guys have been married maybe for a long time. Praise the Lord. We value that. But remember, Jesus even says that marriage is not eternal. It's temporary. It's only for this earth. So I hate to break the news to you, but we're all going to be single in eternity. <laughs> but I'll tell you why. I'll tell you the amazing news because we all will be wed to the Lamb of God. Amen? Isn't that amazing? You know, you know, we think, oh my goodness, there won't be marriage. That's awful in heaven. No. Our relationships will not be worse than they are here. They're going to be better. They're going to be way better than we could ever imagine. And that's the glorious thing about this message. It's about God. It's about Jesus, not about our earthly relationships. They are temporary. We have to continue to lift up the beauty and gift of marriage. But let me tell you what I think we've done. I think we've done that at the expense of marriage, where marriage is second best. Marriage is a consolation prize. Marriage is a curse. You know, I'm so sorry you're married. I, you know, and some of you might have friends in the church who are not married. Maybe, you know, they're in their 30s, 40s, 50s or more. I bet there's a tinge of pity for them. You feel sorry for them. Singles in the church don't need our pity. They need to be loved. They need to be shown that though they might not have a family of their own, they belong to the true, real, eternal family, and that's the church. I yearn for the day that the church begins living as the church, or really begins living as the church. We have our own blood brothers, blood sisters, our parents, all blood relatives. That's not eternal. The only eternal family is the church, not bound by human blood, but bound by the blood of Jesus. That's who we will live together for eternity. Jesus called, said that. Who's my brother? Who's my sister? Not his blood brother. Blood, it's those who obey God. That's the key. I had a friend who was a missionary for five years in China, went there single, came back single, and when she was on furlough here in the U.S., she saw several of her friends that she hadn't seen for a long time. And when they, they would get together and hang out, they would all ask her similar questions like, you know, uh, you know how was... They'd talk about China and her ministry plans in the future. And then it would get to the personal things like, are you dating anyone? Do you have anyone special in your life? And each time she said, no, I don't, not yet. Do you know how some of her friends responded? Can I pray for you? It was as if she had cancer. Singleness is not cancer. It's not the worst case, you know, it's not the worst curse in the world, and yet we treat it like that. We treat it like the unbearable burden. We need to come back to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7. This is the, probably the most important chapter on singleness where Paul not only says that it is good, he actually says that singleness is a 
gift. And I know, for those, all of you in this room that are single, I bet no one counts that verse as your life verse. You know, I love where Paul says that, you know, hallelujah, it's a gift. <laughs> and for those of you that are in this room that aren't single and are married, don't keep reminding your single friends that it's a gift because they, they don't like that, you know. <laughs> you know, it's like, what's the return policy on that gift? You know, still got that receipt, give it back like a bad Christmas present. I get that. I'm single. I know that, that how difficult it can be. But from what I hear, marriage can be difficult. There's some challenges with marriage, but there's also some blessings with marriage as well. Same thing with singleness. There are some challenges with singleness, but there's also some blessings with singleness. But then why is it that as Christians, we only focus upon the enormous blessings of marriage and the enormous challenges of singleness? See how this is starkly inconsistent? You know, it's the, the, the majority of, you know, majority of people can all agree that marriage is a gift. Hallelujah. When it comes to singleness, majority of people don't agree that it's a gift. Instead, you know what they say? They say, whew, it's a calling, seriously. <laughs> you have to be either Superman or Wonder Woman to be single, which I don't know if you've noticed, but most superheroes are single. So what does that communicate? You have to have superhuman powers just to be single. And majority of my friends are, Christian friends are married, and they're happily married, and they tell me a secret about marriage, that marriage takes work. Giving of yourselves, loving unconditionally, that's not easy. Paul even goes on to say in Ephesians 5 that you need to, husbands, lay your life down for your wives. Amen, ladies? Amen? So, I don't know what husband that doesn't struggle with that impossible calling. So, do you know what I say tongue-in-cheek instead? I say marriage. Whew, that's a calling, seriously. Singleness, that's a gift. I don't have to lay my life down for anyone yet. But I'm not saying one is better than the other or worse than the other. I'm just simply looking at both and recognizing that both are good. Both are gifts. They are two sides of the same coin, and we should no longer emphasize one over against the other. So we need to be consistent regarding singleness. We need to be consistent regarding sexuality. Because we say that the Bible promotes heterosexuality, right? I mean, that's kind of like the common, we just, we just accept that. I, I even hear people who, who counsel and, and minister to people who experience same-sex attractions, and they say one of their goals is that they want to help these men and women to pursue a heterosexual potential which I'm not too sure what that means, but they want to help them pursue... I mean, what I'm thinking is they want to help them to develop heterosexual attractions to, and hopefully diminish their homosexual attractions, but to develop their heterosexual attractions so that then they can get married. And every time I mean, we, we look at any uh, you know, idea that people talk, especially that has to do with theology or Christian living... We need to think critically like the Bereans did in Acts. We need to compare that to God's Word. So heterosexuality, this concept, is that God's standard for sexuality? Is that like normal sexuality or godly sexuality? So let's first define heterosexuality. That means being attracted to some of the opposite sex or being sexually intimate with some of the, of the opposite sex. That's a pretty broad definition. So broad that, for example, a man could be sleeping with, you know, a dozen women. And that could be considered heterosexuality, right? Or a, a man, a married man, could be cheating on his wife with his another, another woman. And that's also considered heterosexuality. Or there could be an unmarried man. He has a girlfriend. They've been together for 
over 10 years. They actually even have a few children together. They live together. They're a monogamous relationship. They've never been with anyone else, but they're not married. That's also considered heterosexuality. But those three scenarios that I gave you, and I could give you many more, are all sinful in God's eyes. God would never use a category as His ideal that would include so much sin. And I know you're thinking, well, marriage is within the kind of category of heterosexuality, the definition of heterosexuality, but outside of marriage, still considered in the broad category of, of, of marriage or of heterosexuality, is all sinful. So if it's not heterosexuality, it's not homosexuality, then what is God's standard? Holy sexuality. What is holy sexuality? When I read through the full counsel of God, there's only two paths for us to be on. First, if you're not married and you're single, then be sexually abstinent. Be faithful to God by being sexually abstinent. If you are married, then that means, in regards to, your, to, to, to sexual behavior, be, 100, be faithful to God by being faithful to your spouse of the opposite sex. Those are the only two paths for us to be on. Everyone starts out as single. You know, people are like, I didn't choose singleness. That's not true. I've yet to meet anyone who was born married. You just are single. You may choose to remain single, but everyone begins. It's default. You choose to get married, but even people who are married, oftentimes, uh, even if they, you know, remain married for decades, Usually one goes home to be with the Lord before the other one, leaving the other one behind to be single, a widow, not by choice. So, so holy sexuality is chastity and singleness and faithfulness in marriage. Chastity and singleness and faithfulness in marriage. Those are the only two options, you know. And so when people say, oh, you need to help people pursue their heterosexual potential, I even know some people are like, well, you know, I want to help this, man, you know, this, this young man. He has same-sex attractions, and he, and he wants to get married at some point. And so I want to help him to have heterosexual attractions, which I'm not too sure how you can do that. I mean, I, there, people even like, they will even use soft porn as therapy. Like, don't they realize pornography is sinful? <laughs> you know, they kind of miss that. Or, you know, people, and... and, and and one person just, just asked me that. I mean, he was really being honest. He's like, so if, if this young man who has same-sex attractions wants to get married, I mean, wouldn't it, I, I'd be helping him out to try to be attracted to women? And I said, when I disciple men, young men, like at Moody, and these are any young men, I'm not, I don't like differentiate between what, what are your sexual attractions or not. I'm just, you know, if you're a young man, I'm going to disciple you in a certain way. And if, and if this young man wants to get married, I'm not going to try to get them sexually attracted to women as if that's going to be your, you know, the, the key to success in marriage. You know, think about that. Being, you know, rapidly attracted to women is not the way that you're going to have a successful godly marriage. Amen? I mean, as a matter of fact, that's probably the way you're not going to have a successful marriage. Really? You know, I, and I looked at this man and I said, you know how if, if a person wants to marry you know what's the best way for me to prepare that person to be, to this young man to be married? To be a godly man. I mean, that's not, I'm not saying anything new. 
you know, it's not rocket science. I'm not saying, and yet somehow it's, it's it, you know, we've forgotten that. If you want, you know, any of you young men, if you want to get married, you know, young ladies, follow Christ. That's the best way to marry. I, I, I keep trying to find who said this saying. I thought it was Amy Carmichael, but it wasn't. Um, but I, I, even though she was saying it like pertaining to her and, and it can be applied to women, I think this applies across the board to everyone. She said, uh, and, and I believed it was some missionary that was in the mission field, for, you, know, you know, single for a long time, but she said, I want my life to be so hidden Christ that for someone to find me, they have to find Christ first. Let that be. The, who, you know who said that? Who? Can you email it to me? I love that statement. And, and, and so Maya is a, is a lady, right? Honestly, that should apply to us men. If you want someone to find you, they have to find Christ first. Amen? I mean, that should be applied, like, not just for dating relationships, for friendship. I mean, I want my life to be so hid in Christ that I want that for people to find me, they have to find Christ first. That should be like the standard for our life every day. Not, not making our standard by our sexual attractions. You might think, okay, two, two options. Chastity, singleness, faithfulness, and marriage. Well, then people who have same-sex attractions only have one option, and that's to be single for the rest of their life. And people say they have to pursue celibacy, which you've noticed I haven't used that word because I don't, I don't like that word because I think that means that it, 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 it gives the impression that it's chosen, it's a special vocation, that somehow then it's lifelong. I don't know. I don't think we should plan on our life. We don't know what God can do. I mean, so, so let me give you this illustration of a good friend. So he lived as a gay man for many years, had zero interest in girls. He comes to Christ. So he stops pursuing same-sex relationships. And he just figured he was going to be single for the rest of his life, and he was totally okay with that. Well, while he was kind of growing in Christ, he got a really close group of friends that were like his family, the church. There was one friend that he got really close with. She came from a broken past, had nothing to do with homosexuality. Um, like most girls who weren't Christian, she dated guys, lots of different guys. She was sexually active. She actually even had a few abortions. She, um, some of those relationships also were some toxic relationships. So when she came to Christ, she thought, she kind of made a commitment to herself that she said she's not going to date for a while because she really wanted to focus on her relationship with God. So the two of them felt really safe. There wasn't that weirdness that happens. You know what I mean? I'm sure it happens here at Prairie College. You know, does he like me? Does she like me? Because he knew she didn't really want to date, and she knew he didn't like girls. So the, the two of them were like best buddies. They felt really safe together. They, they shared a lot of, you know, just whatever there was on their mind. Well, after some time of being best friends, he began noticing some things about her that he never noticed before, like her hair. She smelled good, and she had curves. <laughs> He says, puberty is hard going through once, try going through puberty twice. <laughs> he got up enough courage, asked her out on a date, and after some time of dating, after they were best friends and then they started dating, after some time of dating, he asked her to marry him. 
And on their wedding night, he told his new bride, he said, Honey, I can't explain this. I'm not attracted to any other women. I'm only attracted to you. That is holy sexuality. When God brings two people together into that union, that one flesh, that's a miracle. And if it's from God, God will provide all those two people need to fulfill that covenant relationship. I call that holy sexuality. Chastity and singleness, faithfulness in marriage, that is God's standard. So, um, third, we need to be consistent regarding change. What does change look like? Does change mean going from gay to straight? Does change mean no longer having temptations? Because I know even sometimes people say, oh, well, you know, this individual, she still has same-sex attractions, so therefore, she hasn't fully been changed, or she hasn't fully been delivered or transformed, whatever the, the, the words are. And I wonder, do we apply that same principle to any other sin struggle? Say I have a friend who was a drunk, comes to Christ, stops drinking, but after years of sobriety, he admits he still has urges to drink, but he doesn't. Would we tell him, you haven't been changed? We need to lay some hands on you. You need some deliverance. I hope not, because... I think that the manifestation of God's grace is more evident in his life because he says no to his flesh daily and says yes to God. So change, it is not the absence of temptations. God never promises you that you will not be tempted. I mean, think about this. Jesus was tempted in every way. What makes us think we won't be tempted? We will be tempted. You know, people ask me, you know, uh, you know do I have same-sex attraction? And I said, you know, are you still tempted with sin? We all will be tempted with sin. But that doesn't mean that I'm giving in to that. The key isn't whether you're tempted or not. The key is whether you're giving into it, whether you're falling into temptation. We all will be tempted. There's a difference between temptation and giving in to temptation. And, and the goal, so it's not that you are, and even then, I mean, people are like, oh, you know, you have same-sex attractions, you know, like, like, like at every second of the moment, you know, I'm having these attractions. No, I mean, that's not, you know, just like guys, you know, most of you guys, you have opposite-sex attractions. That doesn't mean that every moment of the day you're like, you know, oh my goodness, another woman, I can't help it, you know. <laughs> right? I mean, no. I mean, it's the same thing with people who have same-sex attractions. It's not like, you know, a constant barrage you know, every once in a while, and, and it's just, you just, I'm not going to respond to that temptation. Does that make sense? So it's, we have to put everything in perspective. I'm not trying to, you know, diminish the reality of sinful temptations, but I'm also just making it real. It's the reality of everyone's life as a Christian. Change is not the absence of temptations, but change is the ability to be holy even in the midst of temptations. But I will have to tell you, when you are on the road toward holiness, sanctification, that process, it does get easier. I'm not going to say that it will be completely taken away because on this side of glory, we will always be tempted with something. But I think as time goes along, we just get spiritually stronger. And I think we're able to resist those temptations. So we need to be convicted. We need to be consistent. Third, we need to be compassionate. I've been teaching at Moody for over nine years, and every year I get students that confide with me about their journey with same-sex attractions. And often they say, I think I'm gay. I have attractions. I've never told anyone. And they continue and say things like, I hate myself. I wish I was never born. And because of their isolation, they suffer with depression, even thoughts of suicide. This happens at every Christian college. 
That should move us, my friends. And if you're in this room and you feel like you're all alone, can I just tell you, you're not. You're not alone. Don't think that you're out of the ordinary. You are actually just about as normal as anyone else. You're a sinner like us all, and you need Jesus like us all. Don't think you're doing it alone. That's a lie from the pit of hell. We have to be a safe place. Do you guys have that here? I mean, in, in America, they're always like, they have these safe places and stuff like that, which sometimes aren't really safe for everyone, especially Christians. But I won't get into that. But anyway, do you guys have that like in, in your schools where they have like safe, safe spaces? Yes? No? So in the, in the U.S., they have these safe spaces that they create for like people to go there. And, and, and most, most of the time, it's specifically for people uh, in the gay community where it's like, a pl- like it can be a room in a, in a school or something like that. Um, I look at that and I wonder, shouldn't the safest place in the world be the body of Christ? So the question is, are we safe? But let me tell you, I don't want to just be safe. Because safe just means, like, you can just tell me whatever you want, and then that's it. Like, okay, thank you for telling me. Like, that's, that's, then we're safe. That's not truly Christian. I want to be safe and redemptive. That's the difference. I want there to be, you know, you could tell me whatever is on your mind, whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're wrestling with, but you know what's next? I want to point you to Christ. That's the difference. We need to be safe and redemptive. Um, so how do we do that? Well, first of all, just expect that this is present here. Right here at Prairie College, we have people who are wrestling alone, some people that have confided with others, but they're afraid to tell, and we need to not be surprised. You know, I, I actually have people who will come and tell me, you know, I just had, you know, my best friend, and, and they, you know, grew up together in a youth group, and they just told me that, that, that they have same-sex attractions, and I don't know how that happened. You know, they came from a good home. They had Christian parents. They were even homeschooled. <laughs> and I want to say, hold up. Sounds like you're saying that if people have good parents, they grew up in a Christian home, and they're even homeschooled, that say they are somehow exempt from struggling with sin. Is that true? Is that true? Okay, newsflash. I'm sensing in this room right now, you know, that we've got this room, I, mean, I don't know, 200, 300 people, there's got to be at least one or two people here right now that's struggling with sin. I, I don't want don't, to, don't, don't raise your hand, I don't want to embarrass you, you know. I mean, I, I'm sure there's got to be at least one of you, right? I mean, let's be serious. We all struggle with sin. Yes, your sin might look ne- different from the person sitting next to you or the person over there. I mean, but at the end of the day, it's sin. It's a struggle with sin. It's a temptation with sin. And you know what's a common denominator? We all need Christ. Let's find that commonality and come together and not sort of splinter off and say, well, here's this type of struggle or here's this type of struggle. I mean, you know, yes, I mean, I think that's helpful to, to sometimes differentiate, but the, the bigger thing is that we need to come together. I know many people, they're like, you know, yes, my friend just shared with me they have same-sex attractions. I have no idea how to help them. And I'm like, why? Well, I don't have same-sex attractions myself. You know, I never experienced that. And I just wonder, do you have to shoot up with heroin to help a heroin addict? Yes or no? Do you have to commit adultery to help someone caught in adultery? Yes or no? No. 
You know what you need to help someone who's caught in sin or struggling with sin? You need to know Jesus. And you need to have had some victory your, yourself in your, in your own life with sin. If you have that, you can help anyone. Anyone. Yes, study more and learn about these issues, but don't feel immobilized. Satan wants to isolate. Remember I said that yesterday? But another thing he wants to do is immob immobilize you. He's trying to tell you you can't do it. You, you don't know enough. I, you, know, you don't know about this issue, and he then makes you not help this person, where actually, probably more than anything else, this person needs your help. And help doesn't mean, help doesn't mean giving this, being an expert. When someone's coming to you and they, and they just confide with you about something, what they don't need most is an expert. You know what they need? A friend. And you can be a friend. Simply just be a friend. Expect that this is present here. Second, know your position on this. And this is hard for Christians because we don't want to say anything. Well, what we, what we really believe. But let me tell you what I'm not saying. Most people, when, when they see this, they think I'm saying, you know, your position is, it's sin, don't do it. That's not really what I'm saying. My main position, the one takeaway that I want people to have when they hear my position on anything is this. My goal in life is to lead people into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. Not just know Jesus. You know, demons know Jesus. It's making no difference, right? I want people to have a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. Why? For what reason? So that they're willing to surrender everything to him. Everything. You know when Jesus spoke about, you know, to his disciples and, and explained what it was to be a follower of Christ? You know what he said? He said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. Pick up his cross daily and follow me. We don't want to pick up our crosses daily. We don't want to deny ourselves. We want to we follow Jesus. You can't. If you don't deny yourself, pick up your cross, you can't. Following Jesus should cost us everything. If it hasn't, you're following the wrong Jesus. It's when you give up everything, and I mean everything, and then God allows you to keep some things. Those things you know aren't yours. They're all His. Fourth, let's be a community that takes seriously in fighting against the gay jokes and bullying. Amen? There's no place in the life of a Christian to make fun of anyone for whatever reason, for race, for their sex, for, you know, their sexuality, whatever it is, whether they're tall or short or round or thin, what, what, whatever, no one should be made fun of. I mean, even the words that we use, you know, that's so gay. Can't we use another adjective or another word instead of that's so gay? Let's, let's expand our vocabulary a little bit. You know, learn more words. You know, how about, okay, how about that, instead of saying that's so gay, how about that's so Presbyterian or that's so Baptist, you know, something like that. I'm sure you can find something very, very, very creative. So convicted, consistent, compassionate, fourth, we need to be complete. And this is talking about complete in our message. We focus upon God's truth because it's a truth that sets us free. So what is God's truth? People are like, oh, that's easy. It's a sin. <laughs> True, but let's dig deeper. Let's dig deeper. I mean, when we say that, you know, that's equivalent to giving someone a one spiritual law track. You guys heard of the one spiritual, four spiritual laws? 
was that this is the one spiritual law that goes something like this. You're a sinner, and you're going to hell. Sorry. In case you didn't know, that's not good news. There's nothing good about that. That's only bad news. But think about this. That's the only message we've been giving to the gay community. Think about it. You're going to hell. There's no hope for you. It's no wonder why the gay community want nothing to do with us, because we have not been giving them the good news. We have been, have been giving them the bad news only. We have not been telling them the complete truth. We have been telling them an incomplete truth, and an incomplete truth is just as harmful as telling someone a lie. So what is the complete truth? First Corinthians 6, I talked about this yesterday. Paul has a whole list of sins. And he says, do not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he lists these sins. Two of those words focus upon homosexual behavior. Sometimes people look at this list and say, look, gays and lesbians won't inherit the kingdom of God. When they do that, they conveniently forget about the eight other sins. Because if we look at all ten sins, none of us should inherit the kingdom of God. Bad news. But I'm so glad Paul didn't stop there. He goes on to say this verse. Such were. Catch that. Were. Past tense. Some of you but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. That's not good news. That's amazing news. That is news that we can declare to anyone that needs to know about Jesus Christ. So our message has to be redemptive and it has to focus upon the good news of Jesus Christ. We have to make the first thing first. Our friends in the gay community, you know their main problem is not their sexuality. Their main problem is to surrender to Jesus. We keep making the secondary issue the primary issue. We don't make people follow God's morals if they don't even believe in God. My biggest sin was not my same-sex relationships. My biggest sin was unbelief. We have to make sure that we make the main thing the main thing, and that is believing in Jesus. So I'm going to give you some practical things here, and we're going to go kind of quick so we can jump into the Q&A, and I know you guys, some, some of you guys have to leave. But for those of you that have a desire to minister on this issue, we need to make sure that we have two groups, those that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and hold to biblical sexuality, but they have same-sex attractions, how do we mentor, disciple these young men and women? But others who don't believe in God, they identify as gay, or they believe, you know, that God blesses same-sex relationships and they're gay. So how, that would be, we want to share them the true gospel. And some of them might even say they're Christian. But, you know, there's a lot of people who say they're Christian, but they're not born again. So we need to judge by their fruit. And so... That's evangelism and outreach. So first, let's talk about Christians who have same-sex attractions. How do we minister? Let's say after this week, week, you have a classmate that confides with you that they have same-sex attractions. Do you know what to say or do? First of all, thank them. Thank them that they trusted you with this secret. It can be one of the hardest things for them to, for, for them to open up. Don't freak out. Thank them and just listen. Ask them how their faith fits into all this. Second, tell them that they're not alone. Many people think that they have to go through life and no one will ever understand them. And yes, you could say, I, don't I can't personally understand what you're going through, but I want to walk with you to Jesus. Those words can be life for someone. Third, help remind them that their identity needs to be in Christ. This could be the most important thing of all these things at the end. The reason is because the, we have been brainwashed to think that sexuality is who we are. 
Let me say it again. We have been brainwashed to think that sexuality is who we are, when reality, sexuality is just what we feel, what we desire. And they can be strong desires, but your desire is never who you are. Are you following me? Sexuality is not who you are, it's what you experience. And if we can separate our sexuality from who we are, I think then we will be able to truly embrace our true identity in Christ. When we, when we have a wrong identity, identity, that only adulterates our identity in Christ. So, identity in Christ is key. Fourth, we need to be realistic. Don't give these false promises that, you know, read the Bible more and you could pray away the gay. No. Read, read the Bible and praying is important, but you don't do that so you don't struggle or you're not tempted. You do that so that you, when temptations and struggles come, you can remain faithful. Fifth, don't focus so much on the externals. This is like the way people walk or talk, the way they, you know, their mannerisms. Because the biggest issue is their heart. And I want to see change from the inside out, not from the outside in. Sixth, encourage God-honoring same-sex friendships. And this is pointing, pointing to we need to be having healthy, true family relationships in the, in the body of Christ. We need, we need to know what it means to love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Because really, you know, at the core, we all have that desire to have intimacy with others of the same sex, but in healthy ways. So really, it's a legitimate need. It's only fulfilled in an illegitimate way. How do we share Christ with those in the gay community? First, let me tell you, here, here's things that you should not do. Do not compare this with an addiction, pedophilia, murder. That's just not a good way to win people to Christ. Second, don't say lifestyle or choice. Christians, we use all you know, these terms a lot, but when you live, to, you know, if you have a gay friend, you never hear them use those words, and sometimes these words can be offensive to them. Why? Because they have the wrong identity. And when you have the wrong identity, that's when your life will not, you know, you will come up with misunderstandings on how to live as well. That's why I think when you approach a gay friend, start with identity, who we are, before you address the moral, uh, the immoral behavior. Second, third, don't say the phrase, love the sin or hate the sin. Just do it. Don't say it. Fourth, don't feel the need that you have to debate with people all the time. There's a time to debate, but that's when God softens their heart first. So, what should you do? And I'm just going to finish with this. First, you need to pray. Pray and fast. Have you guys heard the movie uh, War Room? So, that, that movie was turned into a novel, a book, and, um, and it came out around the same time as the movie. Uh, that book, written by Chris Fabry, was dedicated to my mom. Do battle for those people who aren't able to do battle. We need to get on our knees. We need to fast. We've lost what it means to fast. Listen. Don't be quick to speak, but be quick to listen. You know, our gay friends, sometimes we need to listen to their stories. And listening doesn't mean you're condoning. When you listen, sometimes their stories will break your hearts. So just listen. Third, be intentional. Don't be afraid to um, invite your gay neighbor over for dinner. And I know you're thinking, if I do that, am I condoning their sin? Well, last time I checked, we usually have sinners over for dinner. Nothing, you know, nothing new. Fourth, uh, be patient and persistent. persistent. It's going to take time for people to turn to Christ. Lastly, be transparent. Share what God is doing in your life lately. You know, if you open up your Bible, they're going to start running. But you know what they can't argue with? Your own life. 
talk about? What, what is God teaching you today? I, I ask that to my accountability partners, my best friends. What's God teaching you today, this week? God, if God's not teaching you anything this week, then there's something wrong in your spiritual life, in your spiritual walk. We should, none of us should be the same as we were 10 years ago, 10 months ago, or 10 weeks ago. God should be continually transforming us. Talk about that. Because, let me tell you, I didn't leave pursuing same-sex relationships because someone convinced me it was sinful. I didn't leave pursuing same-sex relationships because someone convinced me they were harmful. I left it because I was shown something better. And His name is Jesus. Our job as followers of Christ is to show a dying world out there that no matter what they're clinging to, all the fool's gold in the world, whether money, career, job, children, all the fool's gold in the world, not only is Jesus better than all of that, but Jesus is best. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. Help us to be women and men that love you without abandon. And show the world that not only is a life surrendered fully to Christ better, but it is better than the best thing that this world, anything that this world has to offer. We love you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. So, one of the questions that was asked uh, is, what do you do when the church burns you or per pushes you off and treats you like an outcast? A lot of us feel like we are fighting this war alone. Why is God not waking up his church? Why is the church not waking up to follow God? Uh, you know, I, I, I don't... I, I can be... I can be at times uh, pretty critical on, on how the church needs to improve, but... Um, even with that said, I'm actually quite encouraged by what I see. So, um, I, don't th I don't think the church, I I'm not expecting the church to be completely um, without, you know, completely perfect on this side of glory. Jesus will make uh, the church that. But there's, there's all, and, and, and I need to differentiate, though, because when I say church, all we see is, is the, um, the local churches. And, and as we know, maybe not everyone in the local, we, we know that not everyone in our local churches and congregations are truly Christians. So we need to recognize that um, Jesus is keeping the, the true church um, holy and pure and, and, and purifying us. But I, I, I want to encourage us to remember not to focus so much on the sinful people in the churches, but to hopefully focus upon Jesus Christ first and hopefully be the ones that try to make that change. I, I think um, if, if there are people that have burned you, I, I think we, we need to realize that, first of all, there needs to be some grace because they're on a journey too. You know, who knows, 10 years from now, they might be a totally different person. I mean, hopefully they are. And, um, but, uh, you know, even maybe you might be an individual yourself where 
you've come to a place where you've realized that many of the things that you've done maybe years before were not very loving to others, and so you're in a different place. But imagine if, if you saw yourself five years ago, you know, would you extend yourself grace and maybe help you along in that way? I hope that that's what... what so, I, I think we need to extend grace. Um, I mean, be encouraged that I still see change, uh, not maybe as fast as I'd like or... or, or or broadly as I'd like, but there, there is still change. And I would say do your best to look for those other people who are seeking that same change, like-minded people as, as you. So I, I would say be encouraged and don't give up on, on the church and maybe help be an agent of change in the church. Thanks. Um, another question is, can you give us insights about interacting or participating in events, um, pride events such as parades, marches, runs? Well, I'm not a runner, so I would never run in a, you know, you never see Asians winning marathons. Um, <laughs> you know, you just don't. You know, not track and field, you know, ping pong, maybe, or badminton, um, chess, uh, gymnastics. I'm a gymnast, but was a gymnast. But so, I'd, I'd, like a run, I don't see as big of a deal because... You know, you're just running, and I, I think, I mean, you know, or maybe I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what people do at runs in one of those. I, mean, I, I, I see a run different from, like, maybe a, uh, a pride event. Um, I, I think we need to be... I, I, I know the reason why people want to, you know, go to the pride parades, you know, uh, even Christians who are there, they're like, they want to kind of be a friend for their, uh, you know, either their gay cousin or their gay, whatever, whatever it is, their, their gay loved one. Um, I, I've just been on the other side, and I kind of have seen, and I don't want to make pride parades like they're all debaucherous and stuff. They are, but that, so is the world. I mean, I don't, I don't see it any different than like Mardi Gras, you know, I mean, where, you know, Mardi Gras the heterosexual, I mean, so it's, I don't, we should not elevate the gay pride parades as like the worst in the world. It's just, it's the world. And look at that instead of, I, I really get angry when I say, say, see Christians who go to these pride parades and take pictures and then show them, look, look at all these, you know, horrible people. And it's like, they're people that need Jesus. How, with that said, though, I know some people who also go there to evangelize at pride parades. And I don't know if that's the most effective way because when I go to pray, when I went to pride parades back then, um, all I wanted to do was have fun, get high, get you know. I mean, it was just just be crazy and fun. And, and th so anyway, I just don't think that's the best context to 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 build relationships. Uh, I believe it, I really believe in relational evangelism, and uh, I think building that those friendships are the best way to to do that. So I don't know if I'm a huge advocate of, of going to those type of things because uh, first of all we need to know what is our purpose and if 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 our purpose is sharing Christ is that the most effective context to do that and I I, I would say that I, I haven't found that to be true. Okay. Um, I have a family member who struggles with homosexual tendencies. We've discussed it at great lengths, and right now his biggest struggle is that if he chooses to resist temptation, he doesn't want to be alone. How can I support him? Well, um, I, I think that we need to live with blinders, all of us. When we, f when we focus so much, when, when someone says, I don't want to be alone, there's two, there's two 
misunderstandings there. Um, first of all, that we um, we we see that um, you know being single is alone, and yet. I know many single people who are not alone at all. I mean, they, they have very full lives. Jesus was not alone. You know, I mean, he had 12 people hanging around him all the time, especially the last three years. He always had people around him. Um, and not that many people around you mean is, is good, but, or is necessarily what our, our goal is, but uh, our, um, we, we need to realize that uh, if we fixate too much on the future, a lot of times that brings more anxiety than peace. And I think that's why we need to live with blinders on, that we just need to live in the now. Not in the past, either not in the future, not in the past. The future oftentimes brings us anxiety, like, I don't know if I can do this. I, want, I don't want to be lonely for the rest of my life. I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can keep struggling with this for the life. You know, I mean, we, we keep asking that when we look, we try to fixate too much on the future. But when we fixate on the past, a lot of times that brings guilt. I know people who are like, oh, my, my past, you know, how can God forgive me? And if you ask forgiveness from God, God's forgiven you of that already. And so we need to live in the now, what God has given us now. God hasn't given you enough grace to live 10 years from now. He's just giving you enough grace today. And um, so I, I think, just say, I don't have the answer for you, but I know that God promises you that, that He will give us peace and joy. Not, not that the world, the world's type of peace and joy, uh, but also know that being single doesn't mean that you have to be alone. So I think that that's what I would tell, tell your friend. Okay. Um, what if you have suspicions that an agnostic loved one is bisexual or homosexual, but they have not outright said so? Is there a way to bring it up appropriately and support them from afar as I don't live near them? Um, I think a, a, a good way to... A, a good way, you know, if you have a loved one who hasn't opened up to you about this, like I said before, you don't bring it up because I think that has to be someone else's story to, to tell. I, I, I just, I don't think that we should force people, you know, out of that and, um, or make them, corner them down to say that, because if they're not ready, then they're not ready. Um, but I think you can help them know that, like, I, I tell people that you just tell them, you know, I, I, I want you to know I love you no matter what, anything. I, I think people need to hear that not just once. I, I know people are like, I've told them that, they already know, well, keep saying that, because um, the world keeps telling them the opposite, that you're a Christian, they don't understand, you will cut off the relationship, and just put them at ease that, um, that there's not going to be any change in that friendship. And, you know, just, I just want you to know I, I love you no matter what. I think that's an important thing that we need to tell them. I think that might help initiate them to feel comfortable enough to uh, be transparent about their own journey. So we have, we have lots of questions coming in, um, and we're just going to have a, a few more minutes here. Um, so uh, you spoke of all sin being equal and none being more of an abomination. How do you reconcile this with the Bible's declaration that sexual sin is greater as being a sin against both God and the body rather than sin like deceit, pride, greed, etc.? Yeah, I, I don't 
I don't know. Um, I, I mean, I'll be honest. I used to say that all sins are equal, um, and I, I don't recall that I, I, I've changed in my position. Um, I don't recall that I said that here. I did say that, um, that it's not the worst sin. I do believe that there, I think many people believe that um, all sins are equal, and whoever wrote this question is exactly right. You know, and as we look at the, as we look at Scripture, and especially the New Testament, that, that has a more specific um, articulation of sin, we find where biblical writers do, uh, do show that, like Jesus even says, says, there's weightier parts of the law. What does that mean? So, I mean, right there, it says that, that there's, there's some laws that are weightier. We'll have to discuss what that exactly means, but at least it's, it, there's a differentiation uh, sexual sin in verse Corinthians that Paul talks about, he's, he's differentiating that from all other sins because that's sinning against the body, and the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So definitely, um, I, I do believe, uh, I don't know if I would exactly say hierarchy because we're not sure, but there's definitely di differentiation where sexual sin is different from other sins. So, yeah, I, I don't believe that all sins are equal. I do believe that the, the eternal consequences of sin are all the same, meaning that it will separate you from God eternally. Um, but there are differences in, I believe, possibly immediate earthly consequences for different sin. That's why Jesus says that sin, if you've hated someone, then you've murdered them. But we know that hate and murder aren't exactly the same. You murder someone, that's, that is a, a greater, I mean, a different sin than simply hating someone, and that's one, one of the reasons is because the consequence is greater that the consequence of actual death, um, some, you know, he, the immediate consequence is different than just actually hating someone. Uh, so anyway, I, I, I agree. I don't think that all sins are equal. I do believe that it's, we need to be clear that this is not the worst sin. There's only one worst sin, and that's grieving the Holy Spirit, but not homosexuality. My sister is a lesbian. She is constantly asking questions about the church's view on homosexuality, but is not a believer. How much do I tell her the truth? I'm worried that telling her the truth without her having a relationship with God will make her hate the church. Yeah, so we need to be clear when we talk about truth, like, like what I said before, um, a lot of times when we say the truth about homosexuality, what do we think? We think it's sin. When I think the truth about homosexuality is God is God. He's a triune God. Jesus Christ is his son. He came to die for all of us. We're all sinners. That's gospel truth. The other stuff is legalism. Not that morals and laws are not important, but when do we put law above gospel? So I think we need to make sure before you talk to your sister about the law and morality, I mean, like, if, like, I'm putting myself in your shoe and your sister, you know, like, so sister comes, you know, what does the church think about this, you know, or what does God think about this? And, 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 and I would say, well, you don't even believe in God, so why does it matter what he thinks? So let me tell you more about God. <laughs> you, you see, I want to keep pointing it back to God because that's the most important thing. I, this person, there's, it's totally irrelevant what, what is sin or not for this person at this point because they don't even believe in God. See what I mean? Uh, you know, I don't want an unbeliever just to follow God's ways and not follow God. We want them to follow God. 
Actually, that's the only way that we can follow God's ways. So with your sister, I would, oftentimes what people want to do is they want to put us into a box and to make us think that we're like those crazy, radical, right-wing nutcases called Christians that think that, you know, gay people are going to hell. And it's, that's not what we believe. <laughs> you know, I mean, yes, I mean, I believe all of us, ought, you know, deserve God's wrath and punishment, and all of us deserve hell, but it's His love for us that He provided a way out, which is Jesus Christ. So, I want to share about God first, about the gospel, about Jesus Christ who loved us, who died for us, before I even talk about any of these other not primary issues. So, the truth should be that God exists and He loves us. He sent His Son for us. He loves us while we were sinners. Like, whenever we talk about God's love, we also have to talk about Romans 5, that God loved us while we were sinners. I think that's a key uh, differentiation, that He loves us even while we were sinners. So, we have two, two more questions. Um, I have two brothers. One is gay. One is a strong Christian. The Christian does not spend time with the gay brother because he does not want to condone the sin. I spend time with my gay brother, showing him I enjoy his company. How do I approach both brothers? Read them the prodigal son parable or read the other brother the prodigal son parable um, and ask him what he, what he thinks. I'm talking about the Christian brother. Um, yeah, just be like, what do you think about this parable? Which one are you? Um, you're not the dad. Um, we'll just leave it at that. Uh, you know, sometimes, you know, we have to be very compassionate and, and, and understanding of sinners because they're sinners. Uh, that's, that's what Jesus did, right? I mean, wasn't he accused? Like, you know, isn't there a hymn? Uh, I wasn't raised in the church, so I don't know all the hymns, but there's, there's, there's a hymn that's called Friend of Sinners, right? Great, great hymn. Um, we sing that, and it's very endearing, right? I mean, it's, it's like, it's, oh, Jesus is a friend of sinners. That means us. When the Pharisees used that, that was not an endearing statement, <laughs> it was a derogatory statement, friend of sinners. You know, how dare you? That's, that's what it really was. Um, and so, Jesus was so patient and compassionate toward those sinners. And we like to say, oh, well, well they repented. We have no evidence. Like, like he, um, uh, he, he ate with the tax collectors. Do we know that every one of those tax collectors came to Christ? We don't. We have no idea. Some of them did. Um, so, I think we need to be patient, compassionate toward the sinners, but sometimes, you know, these Pharisees, they need to be rebuked. They need to be called, you brood of vipers. <laughs> um, and uh, so, anyway, I, I think with this brother who's wayward, who's the prodigal son, who's embracing homosexuality, I think there needs to be grace, and, and we need to hopefully point them to, you know, this is, and, and this brother prodigal can be uh, hurt, perceived maybe by the church, and uh, we need to show that, you know, there are people who still love you and who, who are followers of Christ. And the other brother, I think we need to, I mean, I understand because he's like, he's holding to truth, but is, is our goal as Christians to be champions of truth or to point people to Jesus? I think I see sometimes people wanting to champion truth more than lead people to Christ. It, it, it's, it has to be one or the other, and um, I'd rather point people to Christ. 
So I'll ask this last question, and then I would ask you if you would be able to pray for us as we leave. Um, can you recommend any other authors or books that address this topic in helpful ways? Sure. Um, besides your book, of course. <laughs> of course. Mine is not a, you know, there, there's a lot of great resources out there. Uh, and if you guys would want a list, you can email me, or actually I can send you that. Email me, remind me, and I can send, I have like this PDF file of just resources. But uh, on this specific topic, in my mind, uh, the, the, the brightest, um, most gospel-centered writers that I'm aware of one is Rosaria Champagne Butterfield. Uh, she, like, she's the one that I wrote this, uh, Something Greater Than Marriage. She is, she is a gem to the church. Uh, she is such a gift. Her story is radical. If she, she, she wrote about her story in Christianity Today when her first book came out, and her, the title of her, she's an English professor, so remember that, uh, the title of her article was um, My Train Wreck Conversion. You know, sometimes people come to Christ, and it's not pretty, it's not easy. And the things that they have to give up to follow Christ uh, really should challenge us all. Um, she was an atheist, um, ultra-liberal feminist uh, scholar studying queer theory, taught English. She was teaching at Syracuse, a big, big university in the U.S. She was tenured, bright, bright uh, person, hated Christians. She was doing her postdoctorate work on the religious right in the 90s, and um, she thought all Christians were just a bunch of misogynist, hateful people, and uh, she thought, well, if I'm going to study these crazy people, I got I to gotta read their book <laughs> as an English professor, and reading the Bible radically changed her life. Isn't that amazing? It's no method that's really the key to evangelism. It's God's Word. So she read it and was so, she, she was with a lesbian partner. She was feminist. I mean, all of that. And now she's a pastor's wife who homeschools her kids. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Talk about a radical transformation. She's an amazing writer. Her first book is called Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. Second book that she wrote is on, wrote is on sexual identity, probably, no, not probably, the best book on sexual identity and the, the, the flaws of that concept and the, and the concept of orientation. And her, her second book is called Openness Unhindered. Third book that is coming out next year is on hospitality. Um, one of the big things that brought her to Christ was an older pastor and his wife that just brought her in and just showed her hospitality. They didn't preach at her. They didn't tell her she's going to hell. They didn't talk about even homosexuality being a sin. They just read the Bible with her and taught her how to read the Bible and, um, and just showed her hospitality like Christ did, and that brought her to Christ. That was part of what brought I mean, it was God who, who, who converted her heart. But anyway, that's the first one. Sam Albury would be another one. He's written a small little booklet called Is God Anti-Gay? He's done a lot of other things, and he's written on in, um, a guy. He's from the U.K., another guy from the U.K., um, Ed Shaw is another uh, good writer, and he's written a book called The Plausibility Problem. Um, and then on singleness, 
actually, this guy's from Calgary, um, Barry Danilak. He's, there's a humongous church in Calgary. I don't know the name of it. What is it? Yes, Center Street. Uh, he is a singles pastor there. He used to teach at Rocky Mountain that I think closed down, I think. Um, and um, his name is Barry Danilak. He's phenomenal. He's, he, he studied in the, in the U.S. at Wheaton College, uh, got his master's like I did in, in biblical exegesis. He went to the U.K. to get his Ph.D., and his Ph.D. was on 1 Corinthians 7 and on singleness. He's a single man right now, and he's, his, the stuff he puts out on singleness is brilliant. I've, I've, and nothing, nothing even cl- comes to a close second to what he's written on singleness. It's, it's so amazing. All, everything else that I've written, read on singleness is just like, this is what you do to date, or this is what you do to like, I mean, it's, it's, it's not really about the core issues. It, it, he's the only person that I've ever read that has developed a true biblical theology of singleness that's practical and real. Um, so, he's written two books, one book that is a bit more academic, and it's thick, that you can get here in the North America. The other one you can only get in the UK, but it's worth it. It's a little pamphlet called The Biblical Theology of Singleness. It sounds like unapproachable, but it's very, very practical. It'll help reframe the, the way that you view how the Bible uh, should be taught about singleness, should, uh, what, uh, how we should view the Bible as, as it approaches singleness. So, those are a few resources that I would suggest. Great. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Lord God, we thank you for every good and perfect gift. You are so good to us. Thank you for Prairie College. Uh, Thank you for Mark Maxwell and his uh, vision to lead uh, Prairie College and to sustain it during these difficult years. I pray for every student, young man, uh, young woman here studying at Prairie, and um, that you would protect them, God. Um, Just as uh, Jesus prayed uh, for future believers, that that you would protect them, keep them. Lord, uh, do the same for those here. God, I I pray for uh, those that are wrestling uh, through these issues of sexual identity, of sexual attractions, same-sex attractions, um, that are young men or young women here, that they would know that they're not alone, that they would find another Christian friend who's trusted, um, who's safe, and will point them to you. God, I pray for many of us here who have loved ones. Help us to um, have relationships that are not just meaningful, but redemptive. It doesn't mean that we always have to be talking about Jesus or, or talking about um, uh, your, your goodness to us and the reality of the gospel, but that it would be peppered in throughout our relationship and that we would... Lord, I pray that even without us speaking that people would be able to see Jesus. I pray that it would be a tangible reality when people see us face to face, that they will see something different in us, that um, we would just emanate the light of Christ in our daily life. Lord, help us. Give us the right words to say when we need to say it. Help us to hold back when we need to hold back and not say something. We need your wisdom, Holy Spirit. We need your guidance. We need your strength. Help us, Holy Spirit, to live uh, lives that are sanctified Uh, recognizing the reality of temptations, that they will come. 
but help us to not fall into temptation. God, we love you. Help us to love you more. And we pray all these things in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you.